You're listening to a sermon from Garden City Church in Beaumont, California. For more information, visit GardenCityChurch.co. Amen. Good morning, church. Let's all remain standing for the, the reading of God's word. Our sermon passage today is in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25, and chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. The word of God says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is God's word. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word, the truth that we find that gives us perspective and perseverance, that gives us hope and encouragement that we all need here today. Lord, we pray for our daily bread, not just our nourishment and physical bread, but spiritual truths to nourish us and encourage us and build us up today. That, Lord, you know what we need here today. Lord, you know what this church needs. And and so, God, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, encourage us, build us up as we look to your word and as we look to your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And together we said... Amen. All right, you may be seated. Good morning, church. My name is Casey McCauley. It's a joy to come and to be with you here today. I'm a pastor over at Harvest Church in Riverside, and I've been able to serve with Pastor Brad for many, many years, and uh, I've been privileged to come and speak uh, here a few times with you all. And so if I haven't met you, I just... I'm so thankful to be here. Someone asked me if I was here for the worship auditions this morning, and uh, definitely am not, unless you need more cowbell or something. But I'm thankful to come and to, to share God's word here with you today. I love that during this summer series you have going on, the theme is perseverance. Perseverance. Now, summer, lots of people take vacations, and, and it's a time of a break for many, but there are no vacations in the Christian life. I love the idea of a summer series on the topic of perseverance, that we need to persevere and we do it together. As we read God's word right now and you hear these these great themes that we're going to talk about this morning of encouragement, let me ask you a question. Have you ever met someone who is too encouraged? Have you ever met someone that's too encouraged? 
Like you want to encourage them and they're like, nah, I'm good. Uh, my cup's just overflowing, you know. Uh, now we got some people that are hyper and happy and optimistic and, and, and uh, extroverted and things like that. But the point is, is that we all need encouragement. I've never met somebody who is too encouraged. And we all need encouragement. So I ask you, do you need encouragement here today? By show of hands, how many of you need encouragement? Uh, yeah, all you all should be having your hands up, right? We all need encouragement. And as we've even talked about in church, the topic of fellowship, the encouragement happens in the fellowship of the body. Even a word that was used many times here today, fellowship. Well, two words in our passage that we just read really are are words that highlight what fellowship means. Fellowship is shared life together in Christ. We do life together in Jesus. That's what fellowship is. But there's two words specifically here in the book of Hebrews that the author uses that I personally just think really highlights what fellowship looks like. The two words are let us and one another. Let us and one another. That the Christian life is not meant to be alone. We are the church, the people of God. And I don't know if you noticed it, but there are five let us statements in this passage. And they're commands for us, for you as a Christian, but for us as a people in the church. Now this word, let us. Now, more informally, used as a contraction, the word let's. We use it all the time, right? It's, a, it's an invitation. Hey, let's get some coffee. Let's hang. Let's go to the beach. Let's do this or that. An invitation. Uh, more formally, I guess it could be a command. What if I said, instead of let's get coffee, I said, let us get coffee, right? Might be a little awkward, right? Uh, you're like, do I have to? But it's, a, it's an invitation, but it's also a command, The one another's speak of an interpersonal relationship together. These are all relational commands found here in this passage. And that's because discipleship happens together. That's what church is. We are all disciples of Jesus who are making other disciples. We all need each other to help each other follow Jesus. Discipleship is following Jesus. Being discipled is having someone else help you follow Jesus. And being a discipler or discipling someone is helping someone else follow Jesus. So in other words, we all need each other. We all need each other to follow Jesus. And that's what church is all about. The let's, the one another of the faith. And that's the title of today's message. Let's. Persevering together. We're going to look at these five commands, these five, these five let us commands here in Scripture. Now it's unique because these five commands, and especially the three of them in Hebrews chapter 10, all come right after one another, like little bullet points. Let us do this, let us do this, let us do this. Uh, theologians, uh, the ones who try to be funny, will say uh, that this is a lettuce patch because there's three lettuce statements right there. So all the healthy people are like, huh, what lettuce, right? I know it's a dad joke, but the point is it's a, a lettuce patch, three lettuce statements all right together. And I love this phrase because it focuses on the people of God together, an invitation, a command, let us, we're all 
included. It's not just about me, it's about us. You see, this is countercultural, though, because we live in a culture that's focused on self. It's been said that our culture is comprised of individuals motivated by self-interest, self-indulgence, a false sense of self-sufficiency, and pursuing self-ambition for the purpose of self-glorification. That's a lot of what? Self, right? No wonder that our younger generation has been called the selfie generation. It's all about self. But see, other cultures, and particularly the culture that the New Testament was written in, had more of a collective outlook on life, where instead of being individualistic, they were group-oriented, that the group takes precedent over the individual. And that's the cultural context that the, the writer of Hebrews is speaking into. That's why we see such an emphasis in Scripture of the people of God together, the let us, the one another fellowship, the yes, we all have a personal relationship with Jesus. He died for my sins and I have a relationship with him. The he is greater than I, but that relationship exists within the context of a larger relationship of God's people. That we is greater than me. That because of the gospel, we are better together. A theologian, Joseph Hellerman, he's a professor at Biola, he wrote a book called When the Church is a Family. And he has this great statement that he says, salvation is a community-creating event. Salvation is a community-creating event, meaning we're saved from something, judgment, hell, sin, hopelessness, but God doesn't leave us there. We're saved to something, the people of God, the church, the mission of God, the coming of the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. We're saved from something, but we're saved to something because salvation is a community-creating event. We believe and we are connected with God's people. That's why the church has these beautiful images all throughout scripture, that we are a family, brothers and sisters in Christ who call upon God as our father because we're adopted as children of God, that we are a flock that we are sheep and Jesus is the chief shepherd, that we are a temple, we are living stones being built up together in a spiritual house where Christ is the cornerstone. And finally, we're a body, the body of Christ individually and members thereof, and Christ is the head. Do you see the communal aspect, the, the let us, the one another vision of the church? And so the book of Hebrews that we read from was written to Jewish believers who were being pulled back into their old ways of Judaism. You can imagine many of these people believed in Jesus as the Messiah and the new covenant that has come and developed a new way of worshiping God because the the kingdom has now come, the Messiah has come. And they were being tempted to fall back into ways of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the Old Sacrifices, rather than trusting in Christ's sacrifice. So they're being tempted to go back to their old ways rather than trust in what Jesus has done. And the author of Hebrews makes an argument that Jesus is greater. Jesus is better than all of those things because he's the fulfillment of them. And the application is that if Jesus is supreme, then he is sufficient. If he's greater than all, then he's all that we need. So they don't have to continue doing sacrifices or rituals or legalism. They are free in Christ. And so this is something that we must guard against as well, to not go back. 
We must persevere forward individually, yes, but together as the people of God. And as the people of God, that's what encourages us to persevere individually. We all need each other to keep our eyes on Jesus. So some context for Hebrews chapter 10. The author here is talking about Jesus' sacrifice, the forgiveness of sins, how it was once and for all that we are fully forgiven forever. What a great truth, amen? Fully forgiven forever. We don't have to work for God's approval because we have his approval in Christ, what he's done for us. If, you, if you're looking at chapter 10, verses 14 and 17 say this, by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Isn't that a crazy statement? That the only thing that God can forget is our sins. What a great truth. So essentially, the author of Hebrews is talking about the gospel, the good news of Jesus and what he's done for us. And having understood what Jesus has done now gives us motivation for right living together, persevering together as the people of God. So verses 19 and 21 set us up for the context of the three let us commands. Listen to it. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, dot, 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 let us. So listen to these verses 19 and 21. The therefore connects it with what he's been talking about, about the gospel. And he's saying that because we're saved, we can approach God, look at it right there, with confidence. Since we have confidence. Think about that word. When do you experience confidence? Maybe it's at the gym when you hit that max rep on bench press and you get up feeling good, right? Or you got that new outfit or whatever it may be. You, you ace the test, you, you land the job, you make the sale, you get the kids to bed on time, whatever it is. You got confidence, right? We can be confident about many things in life, but the problem is that we can't have full confidence, complete confidence, because we don't truly know the outcome of things. We're not in control. It's a false sense of security. We put our confidence in sports teams, politicians, the stock market, our bank account, but they can all fail us in a matter of seconds. But the one place where true confidence is found as Christians is the message of the gospel, the power, the presence of God. We have confidence to do what? He says here, to enter the holy places. Wow. We have confidence as Christians to enter the holy places. By what? By our works? By how spiritual I am? By how good I was at reading my Bible or praying this week or or giving or helping? What others think of you? What you think of yourself? No, none of those. We are confident to enter the holy places. What does it say? By the blood of Jesus. That's our confidence. Our confidence is found in the purchased, the blood-bought work of Jesus Christ. As the famous hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. So to help bolster our confidence, do you need some confidence in Christ here this morning to remember that, that you can have confidence to enter into the holy places, enter into God's presence? It's because of what Jesus has done. It says, we enter in through, he says, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is 
through his flesh. Oh, this is a contrast the author's making with the Old Testament. You may be mindful of it. In the Old Testament, the holy places represented God's special presence. And this was the place called the Holy of Holies. It wasn't just holy. It was the Holy of Holies, right? And only the high priest could enter once a year to make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. And there was this thick veil that separated the Holy of Holies from everything else. But what happened? When Jesus died on the cross, his flesh was torn. And when this happened, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing and and very realistically showing that the path is open, that we can enter now into the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Before only one man could temporarily go in, now all Christians can be in the presence of God permanently. So our confidence this morning and the confidence that we encourage one another with to persevere is in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus. And that's what the scripture calls good news. We have good news here this morning, and we can be confident in that. And I encourage anyone here today that maybe you're visiting or you're you're newer to uh, learning about Christianity and you're not a Christian. This is what the scripture calls the gospel, good news. Do you have confidence in your relationship with God? Oh, outside of Christ, we don't because we'll never be good enough. We'll never measure up. Jesus was good enough in our place. And you can have a relationship with God because of what Jesus has done and have confidence that you are saved, not because of what you have done, but because of what Jesus has done. And you can put your faith and trust in him. Verse 21 continues, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Friends, Jesus is our high priest, the one who represents us before God. He is not only the priest, but ironically, he is also the sacrifice. The priest would give the sacrifice, but Jesus is the priest who is the sacrifice. He gave it once and for all. And so, because of this, now the author of Hebrews gets into the lettuce patch. You ready? You ready to eat the lettuce patch? Ready? Here we go. Let us do what? Verse 22, draw near. Verse 23, hold fast. Verse 24 and 25, stir up. These three commands. This is what we are to do as the people of God together. Draw near, hold fast, and stir up. Therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us, verse 22, draw near. We can draw near, and he says, with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Think about this amazing truth. You know the creator of the universe, and you have full access to God. Full access because of the blood of Jesus. You can draw near to God. You can approach him at any time that we are children of God who can run to God as our father. I love what Pastor Timothy Keller says. He recently went to be with the Lord. One of my favorite quotes by him is this. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. 
oh, we're not a guard, we're not a soldier that's like, I'm gonna go talk to the king at three in the morning to ask for a cup of water, right? But oh no, we are children that can run to the king's throne room, so to speak, at 3 a.m. and ask for a cup of water. We have that kind of access to the king of the universe. But the reality is, at times, we don't have confidence. And why is this? Because our confidence is in ourselves or in our own work. And there's two polar opposites to this. There's self-righteousness, where I feel like, well, I don't need God because I'm good, right? I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm doing pretty good. And then there's persistent guilt on the other side. Oh, God, God can never hear me or love me or want me. One says, I don't need God, and the other says, God would never want me. And those are two gospel enemies, self-righteousness and persistent guilt. But the gospel is the cure to both of those. And that's why it says we draw near with a true heart, genuine, honesty, committed, without doubt or deceit, in full assurance of faith, he says. We can confidently claim all the blessings and promises that are found in Jesus. That our faith is not a hope so, it's a no so. Full assurance of faith. He says this interesting line here, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is a, a symbolic cleansing, looking back to the Old Testament and how Jesus is a fulfillment of this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26 says that we are cleansed by the washing of the water with the word. And so we are to draw near to God, both with the affections of the heart and the actions of the body. The affections of the heart, the actions of the body. And what is God's response when we draw near? James 4, 8. Draw near to God and he will what? Draw near to you. Amazing. James 4, 8. We draw near together. In this community here this morning, we are drawing near to God and he is drawing near to us. Yes, individually, but together as the people of God through corporate worship, prayer, the teaching of God's word, fellowship, community, we are helping each other follow Jesus. And we are better together and we can persevere as we draw near to God because he has cleansed us and he has changed us. So we draw near, but we also hold fast. The next let us statement in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. This word hold fast, it simply means to hold tightly or to hold close. What, is it, what does it look like in your life when you hold something really tight or close? Maybe when you're nervous about something or maybe you're at Disneyland trying to record your, yourself on the ride and you're, you have that death grip on your phone because you don't want to drop it, right? Hold tight, hold fast. Specifically, it says we hold fast to what? The confession of our hope without wavering. This means we stay confident and consistent with the gospel, that we truly believe it and live it out. Our confession, our statement of faith, if you will, is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Savior. His work on the cross provides life and salvation for all who believe. And this is our confession, he says, of hope. That we have hope. Do you need hope in the midst of perseverance? Oh yeah. It's what keeps you going. Hope is often said that it's holding on with patient expectation. H-O-P-E. Holding on with patient expectation. And that is in the promises of God. All that God has promised for us. And we don't waver in it. 
And how is this true? How can we hold fast? Because Christ holds us. Notice the the clarity that he gives. For he who promised is faithful. We can hold fast our confession of faith without wavering. Why? For he who promised is faithful. Christ will hold us fast so we can hold fast to our confession of hope. This is our great high priest. Which is why earlier in Hebrews chapter 4, the author says, Let us boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need because Jesus is our great high priest. We can have confidence in Christ. Jesus holds us. And one way that we now hold fast together, we hold fast by being held accountable. It's to remind one another of what Jesus has done for us. Yes, we preach the gospel at church. We preach the gospel to unbelievers. But we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. And we need to preach the gospel to each other. To remind ourselves and one another of all that Jesus has done. So we draw near. We hold fast. Last one. We stir up. Verses 24 and 25. He says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let us consider. This is an intentional thinking, to truly consider something, to dwell on and to think through. And what are we to consider? How to stir up one another. This word stir It's such an interesting word. We know what it's like to stir the pot negatively, right? You know what it's like to see a Facebook comment just go off the rails, right? We know what it's like to to stir things negatively, but this is to stir things spiritually, to stir each other up positively towards godliness, towards goodness, to have the complete opposite effect of, of the tidal wave of negativity but godliness. One, one image that I typically think of when I think of this word stir up is when you go to a baseball game, they do this crazy weird thing, right? Where one guy who's usually sitting way up in the high bleachers has this crazy idea. He goes, you know what? I'm going to get this section right here to all raise their hands at the same time. And then that section is going to do it. And then that section is going to do it. You know what I'm talking about? The wave, Right? The wave is such a funny thing. See a stadium of people just, woo, right? I don't, you don't have to do it now. You can save that maybe for worship later, right? Um, the wave. How does that start? It starts with one crazy person, right? One person who's just extra and is like, I'm going to do it, right? And then that one person gets an entire stadium, an entire stadium to raise their hands. That's what we are to do here in church. Not the wave literally, right? But spiritually, that one person can, can cause a tidal wave, a ripple effect of, of encouragement and godliness and perseverance among us as the people of God. And what are we to stir one another up to? Specifically, it says love and good works. What is love? Answer isn't, baby, don't hurt me no more, right? Love is the giving of oneself for the better of another. Love is the giving of yourself for the better of someone else. It's self-sacrificial. 
Love is our heart posture towards one another. And good works is the action or the evidence of that. I love all that was shared here this morning about the love and the good works that you are being called to do as a church. And that was a beautiful example that was shared of of how we are to stir one another up to love and good works because the reality is, is that you all can do so much more together for the kingdom of God together than individually. That's why the church is so beautiful. We're many members, many, many parts all working together. And the things that you can do in this community are so much greater by all doing it together than individually. So we stir each other up to love and to good works. And in that phrase is the one another. That it says we are to stir one another up. As I mentioned, I love the one another statements. It's, it's really fellowship illustrated. It's, it's, it's what we do, the one another's. Love one another, be devoted to one another, honor one another, rejoice and weep with one another, serve one another, carry one another's burdens, forgive one another, encourage one another, be hospitable to one another, confess your sins, and pray for one another. That's just a sample, a sample of the one another's all throughout Scripture. And so, in a world where oftentimes Christians are known for what they don't do, we should be known for what we actually do, love and good works and we stir each other up towards that end. Titus chapter 2 verse 14 says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, get this, who are zealous for good works. How do you continue to be zealous for good works? How do you as Galatians 6 9 says to not grow weary in doing good? By stirring one another up to love and good works. That's how we persevere. We persevere together. But of course, the implication and the the logic here that the author of Hebrews brings is that the only way we can stir one another up to love and to good works is if we, well, meet together regularly. You can't stir one another up from a distance. Now, of course, we have technology and all sorts of ways that we can communicate without being physically present, but the point is it's the gathering of God's people. We can only do this together. And so you look at the end of verse 25, and he says, not neglecting to meet together. And notice this phrase, as is the habit of some. As is the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you hear the the, the tone of, of perseverance? That we need to meet together regularly. Why? Because some have created a habit of not meeting together regularly. Not meeting on the Lord's Day, Sunday. But all the more we should be committed to regular gatherings. Why? Because the day is drawing near. And the author here is telling us that the regular meeting is a habit. Notice he says, as is the habit of some. We've all experienced this in different ways, whether personally or through observation of others, the the habit of not being tightly knit in the community of God's people, like a a coal that gets separated from the bunch and, and doesn't remain hot anymore. These are holy habits, spiritual disciplines 
that we are to do together, the gathering of God's people where we share life with one another. All of the let us. And I want to encourage you. Uh, missing church means you miss out, right? You miss out on fellowship. You miss out on the teaching of God's word and, and all these things. And I'm not talking about just you had to miss one Sunday because of something. I'm talking about, as the author says here, the habit of some, right? But have you ever thought about another reason why missing church is, is difficult and spiritually bad? It's because other people are missing out from your absence as well. So you come to church to get fed and to build, be built up, but you're also coming to church to do that for someone else. You can't one another, you can't let us by yourself. And so when someone misses church, other people are missing out because of their absence, the opportunity to be encouraged and prayed and built up. So we are all here together. And the habits that we are forming in this season of life, of course, will translate into the next season of life. And these holy habits, these spiritual disciplines that we do together as the people of God, oh, they don't make God love us more. God doesn't love us more if we do certain things, but they help us love God more. To be stirred up to love and to good works, to to draw near, to hold fast, all all of that helps us love God more. And we do it together. And so the author here says that we are to encourage one another. We meet together for encouragement. To encourage is to come alongside, to be called to someone's side, to lift them up. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 to 13, warns against uh, not being encouraged. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. How often? Every day. As long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I've never met anyone who's too encouraged. And encouragement just doesn't happen One day a week, we need encouragement every day. The people of God encouraging one another. So a question for you. Who are you encouraging? Who is encouraging you? We all need each other to persevere. We persevere together. So we draw near to God in faith. We hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. And we stir one another up to love and to good works. This is the epitome of 1 Corinthians 13, where it says these three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. Those are the three let us statements, faith, hope, and love. So the author of Hebrews finishes chapter 10 with some warnings of what happens when you don't do this. Then he gets to Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith. Amazing passage about uh, the men and women of God who, who lived and walked by faith. And then we come to chapter 12. After warnings and after the witness of chapter 11, we come to 12. And all this flows together. And the author of Hebrews says, therefore, so connecting it with this whole narrative, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, the people of God who have gone before us, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, he now gives two more let us statements. Let us also lay aside every weight. And sin, which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Doing what? 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Many times our reading of this passage ends right there. But listen to verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we look to Jesus, but we consider him who endured hostility so that we would not grow weary or faint-hearted. We are encouraged by the saints around us, the let us, the one another. We are encouraged by the saints who have gone before us, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, our loved ones in the Lord who, who have joined that great cloud of witnesses. We're encouraged by those. But then we look to the race ahead of us. That the scripture describes our, our following Jesus together as a race. And in that race, we have two responsibilities to help each other. Now, I can't speak about running or uh, running literal races because, hey, I got no experience in that, right? But the point is, we help each other. Let us do what? Lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Don't you, don't you like that phrase? Sin just clings so closely, doesn't it? We help each other get rid of sin in our lives. One, through observation. Uh, I see this, and I'm going to encourage you in that, and sometimes have good, helpful conversations where we need to be humble and receptive to that. Through observation, but also through motivation. To, hey, keep running. When you feel like giving up, when you feel like you're faint-hearted, when you feel the, the heaviness of uh, what they call hitting the wall when running, right? Which is like me in the first minute, you know? But when you hit the wall when you run, it's keep going. Lay off every weight that slows you down. And then what's the second thing? Laser focus, tunnel vision to who? Jesus. Let us lay aside, let us run, and let us look to Jesus. Jesus is the founder and perfecter, the originator, the finisher of our faith. We look to Jesus, and that gives us the encouragement that we need. We draw near, we look back. Through the blood of Jesus, we can enter the holy places. We hold fast, we look in. We look with conviction at the word of God and we hold fast our confession of faith. We stir up, we look around. We look around and we encourage one another. And then we look up, we look to Jesus. Look back, look in, look around, look up, look to Jesus and find in him everything that we need. We help each other follow Jesus. We help each other look to Jesus. To consider him who endured such hostility so that we may not grow weary or faint-hearted. The night before Jesus was to die, he said in John 16:33, "In this world you will have tribulation." So we have to persevere through it. And he says this, but take heart or be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Friends, church family, we can overcome because Jesus overcame. We can finish our race of faith. 
Like Paul to say, I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I've fought the good fight. We can finish the race because Jesus on the cross cried out his last words, it is finished. He has gone before us and he has overcome. So we are overcomers. And so we persevere together. How do we do that? Through the let us, through the one another's of the race of faith, looking to Jesus, our savior and our king together. And as we respond to God's word here this morning, we are able to do this in a, in a specific way that Jesus told us to at the communion table, where we, where we look ahead at the future coming of his kingdom by looking back at what he has done, to remember all that he has done for us. How do we draw near and hold fast and stir up and look to Jesus? It's by remembering what he has done for us, that we all come as the body of Christ together to the communion table to remember Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. So let's conclude our time of the hearing of God's word with responding with worship and remembering what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Let's pray together.